0: Welcome to League of Lit, where we discuss books, adaptations, and anything else we wish to talk about and tie it back to lit, because we can. We can. Because that's exactly how this works. We decide we can do it, so we do it.
1: We do what we want. Welcome to our podcast.
0: <laughs> and it's generally surrounding literature in some way, shape, or form.
1: Yeah, we, we try. League of Lit, you know.
0: But let's see. What what can we say to lead into what we're talking about today that actually, well, you know, has to do?
1: We're talking about the second published book in a series we've already started talking about. This is true. There you go. That was helpful. Yeah. yeah I,
0: except it's not the second book in the series chronologically.
1: No. 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 If that helps you figure it out or if it makes it harder for you to figure out, you're welcome. <laughs>
0: We're talking about Prince Caspian from the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, which originally, when it was published on October 15th in 1951, was titled Prince Caspian, The Return to Narnia.
1: Because they returned. Yeah, it makes sense.
0: Because it was originally the second book published. It is not
1: a good title, though. (laughs) It's not a good title. (laughs) Prince Caspian, a much better title.
0: Yeah, it's short and concise and tells you that we are getting introduced to a new character
1: there's gonna be a prince and his name is gonna be caspian this is true you don't need anything else real quick it is a truth universally acknowledged that we are not a spoiler-free podcast so beware of all the things (laughs) of all the things (laughs) okay all right, so we talked about the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe not that long ago. This book takes place a year in England after the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, after Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy Pevensey have returned to England. Um, but it is thirteen hundred years in Narnia because that is how time works. <laughs> time yeah, is an illusion. T-
0: Well, time moves faster in Narnia because, you know, it can't be a fantastical world and it happen at the same rate that our world does.
1: Absolutely not.
0: I don't know of a single fantasy world that works that way.
1: No, they're all like slightly. Time is some weird wibbly wobbly timey wimey thing. I never even watched Doctor Who. How did I just come up with that?
0: (laughs) I've watched Doctor Who. That is very true.
1: (laughs) This book, they get whisked back to Narnia and um, end up on a beach near a ruined castle, which they then determine is Carapavel, which is where they lived when they were kings and queens of Narnia. They're still technically kings and queens of Narnia.
0: Yes, they, the whole concept of being a king and queen—I don't remember. I want to say it's mentioned in *The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe*, but it's it's mentioned multiple times throughout the whole series. Once a king and queen in Narnia, always a king and queen in Narnia. Mm-hmm. So.
1: Um, and there, they discover the the treasure vault, which is where they find Peter's sword and shield, Susan's bow and arrows, and Lucy's dagger and her bottle of magical cordial.
0: Susan's horn is missing from the gifts that Father Christmas gave, which Edmund didn't receive any because he wasn't there when when the he gifts was were given. Being he naughty, was- he will with the White Witch, contemplating his life
1: choices. And eating Turkish delight. Yeah. So the horn is missing, and at that point, you sort of get the interpretation that somebody has used the horn, and therefore that's why they're back. You don't like Do you, get uh, that. In- I mean, I was to say felt like, that way about it.
0: I know that I feel that way now, but that's because I I've read the series multiple times, and I know that that's what it is. I don't know what when- third grade me thought the first time she read them but i don't yeah it's like that's one of the things where i don't remember cuz the also thing i don't the other thing i don't remember about when i like initially read this series was if i read it in chronological order or publication order so while they are at these ruins um they run into a dwarf which we are not really okay. sure we don't but i don't know that we i don't remember that we know that that's what his name is until a little bit later
1: i don't think we do know that because that's what his name is.
0: Yeah, it's like, I think it's while he's, while we're getting the story that he tells to the Pevensies of, like, of why he's there and the fact that he is a servant of Caspian the 10th. This is our first mention of Prince Caspian, Um, but, like, he, that's... he literally goes in and tells the whole story of how it is that lead of everything that happens before the Pevensies actually enter in Narnia this go round. So in a way it's a, a flashback, even though there is there are, the adaptations take it, take that chunk that we're getting told about how, about everything that leads up to the Pevensies being in Narnia before they actually enter in Narnia. Which I don't think is a bad choice. It's just interesting that that's how it goes. Because that's not how it is in the book. But, you know, there are some liberties that work that way.
1: Yeah, because he tells us about how the Telmarines conquered Narnia. And um, it's now ruled by King Mraz and his wife. Whose name is long. And I didn't write the whole thing down. So Queen P is what I wrote. (laughs)
0: The thing is, is I don't ever remember hearing the name when I read the book. So when I was looking at Caslis, I was very confused. I was like, how did they decide what her name was? I had to have been in the book somewhere. I just didn't.
1: It wasn't important know.
0: enough to stick in my yeah. brain.
1: Yeah, I think that's why I wrote Queen P when I was like going back through it all again. I was like, oh, that's not important. We learn that King Mraz, um usurped the throne by killing his brother, Caspian's father.
0: We have a Hamlet uh, situation in a way.
1: Oh, my God. Shocking. Somebody referencing Hamlet.
0: <laughs> Except there was no marrying the dead king's wife in this situation.
1: Yeah. No, we don't. know. It, it's just the that. killing of brothers. Yeah. Um, Shakespeare would be proud. Love that journey for him. Um, <laughs> so Moraz tolerated Caspian, the young Caspian. Um, for as long as he had to, until he had his own heir. Because at that point, he's like, cool, I can get rid of this one, and then my child will be heir, and we will continue the line. hmm Um, and because of that, um, Prince Caspian had to escape the castle before he could be murdered, um, with the aid of his tutor, Dr. Cornelius. Yes. Who gave him Susan's horn, and has taught him the lore of old Narnia. So Caspian flees into the forest, um, ends up being knocked unconscious, and he awakes in the den of a talking badger, truffle hunter and two other dwar- and two dwarves, Nicabric and Trumpkin, who have accepted essentially that Caspian is their king because they don't believe that King Mraz is their king. D- n-
0: Nicabric is a struggle bus. Through the well, whole I mean, way, so well,
1: it just feels on brand.
0: So I mean, like I always just—I guess I just always got the feeling that Nicka Brick was n- never going to go for it, but Trumpkin is more open to the idea than Nicka Brick yeah. is when we first initially meet him, and where Nicka Brick's all—he's a Telmarine he's going to be just like the rest of them and he needs to like go. And by go, I, I fully mean, mean dead. dead. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I got that. <laughs> and so it's, it's that kind of a struggle, if you will, um, for those, but it's those three that meet Caspian first and it's with their help that Caspian gets to meet all of the other Narnians who are supposedly supposed to be extinct.
1: Yeah, because at that point they there are no talking animals. It's not the same as it was before. It's a completely different Narnia, because it's a very Marines savage place. Over. Yeah, and they've essentially killed all of the the smart animals, or at least they think they have, and they've replaced them in a way with just regular animals. I don't
0: know that it's that they killed off a bunch of them. I think they just started treating them like dumb animals. Because I know at least in one of the adaptations, it's mentioned, well, you can only be treated stupid for so long before you actually become that way. But through um, Caspian meeting all the old Narnians, we are introduced to what is honestly probably one of my favorite characters in the series, which is Reepicheep. He he has this level of spunk and... A liveliness that doesn't exist in a lot of other characters, but at the same time, his
1: pride is really annoying.
0: <laughs> like
1: he's he's definitely like, I wanna just boop him on the head, but I feel like he would just stab me, so. They do a midnight council on the dancing lawn, and Dr. Cornelius arrives to warn them that King Mraz and his army are approaching. Mm-hmm. And tells them to flee to Aslan's How, which is in the Great Woods near Caraparavel. And then...
0: Well, and as, Aslan's how is because it's n- not something that you understand until a little bit later in the novel, I think, that it's essentially the tomb. It's like the area around the stone table. Like, So there are a lot of locations that we were introduced to in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe that have been renamed... Because of how circumstances have changed over the last 1,300 years in Narnia.
1: mm mm-hmm. um, So the Telmarines follow the Narnians to the How, And they fight. You know, it's a war at this point. And at a second. All for the crown. <laughs> yes. At a second war council, they decide to use the Susan's horn in the hopes that it will bring them help. Mm-hmm. So now Because the
0: legends are, is that it would call the kings and queens of old. But that's just the legends that they have been told. They don't actually know if it'll work.
1: They could fully just be blowing a horn. It's a great musical instrument. It's not that great. <laughs> um, but, but obviously it works. <laughs> Trumpkin
0: tries to be a realist about this entire, like, using of the horn thing. And... Because he, you know, he brings up the fact that, you know, it could be all for nothing and that they just, you know, blow the horn and nothing happens. Mm -hmm. But he still has such a strong sense of duty that he agrees to go and search to see if any help actually does come from Caspian blowing the horn.
1: So while they're, while Trumkin and the Pevensies are then journeying to Caspian, um, it's just a very difficult trek. I mean, Narnia doesn't sound like it's fun anymore, so I can imagine.
0: Well, and also things have just changed over time. So things that they remember, like the journey from Paravel to the stone table, is different than what it was the last time that they were
1: there. Yeah. Um, While they're on that journey, Aslan appears to Lucy and tells her to guide the others behind him. And he sends Peter, Edmund and Trumpkin ahead to the How to deal with some treachery. Ooh.
0: Well, so, and the thing about Aslan appearing to Lucy is he only appears to Lucy. None of the others can see him. So this is an exercise in faith. And while Lucy goes and tells them Like, look, it's Aslan, like, Aslan is here, we should... And he's asking us to follow him. Like, that impacts how they get to Aslan's how. Mm -hmm. Because the others don't believe Lucy. Edmund tries to stand up for Lucy because he knows the last time it... He looked really darn stupid. So he's trying to not repeat history. And he tries... But fails because you know you still have three other people who ha- also have to agree because Peter decides we'll stick it to a vote, and so because the vote fails and they don't follow Lucy, who's saying we should follow Aslan, they almost die because they run into some of Miraz's men. Are we shocked? <laughs> so they go back and decide go to the way that Aslan showed Lucy to take them. And they end up making things safer.
1: Well, you should always. But there's also the women. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there's also a level of, like Lucy does ask at one point, ask Aslan what would have happened if they had, and he won't tell her, because that's just you know a kind of a running theme throughout Narnia, is you never actually get to find out what would have happened had you made the other choice. Even if you're making the right choice, if you had, because it's that ambiguity of right versus wrong, because in certain situations, following Aslan, like the way that they were supposed to go, it looked like a quote wrong choice. Yeah. A more dangerous path because of having to go like through the gorge and whatnot, instead of going around the gorge which is the way that they tried to go and which is what got them in trouble. Yeah. So it's it's challenging that perspective of what you perceive as right and wrong.
1: Yeah. So back at the How, Peter Edmund and Trumpkin show up and drive out the creatures who are threatening Caspian because there is a little there's a little treachery going on with the Narnians. Um, well, it's Nickabrick. I mean, his name is Nickabrick. It's not a nice name.
0: Which one of the um, one of the adaptations gives him a little bit more of a backstory than the novel does, and I think it works well for him in like connecting him to a dwarf that actually served the White Witch. Because yeah. what Nickabrick does is bring in two creatures, which we never fully get a clear picture of them until after they're gone. Of what they actually were. But it's these two creatures that are trying to bring back the White Witch. Because from Nicobricks' perspective, the horn hasn't worked. We don't, like, they haven't met the Pevensies yet. So they don't know that it actually did work. And they're just trying to figure out how they can possibly, uh, like, beat Miraz. Because at this point, Caspian is injured. So he can't really do a whole lot to begin with. Like, they've they've literally fought this guy twice, and they're just trying to figure out how can we, like, just move forward and win back our land and put Caspian as king. Yeah. And Neckerbrick's solution is White Witch, and it's a very bad Witch. solution. A terrible solution.
1: <laughs> but because Caspian can't really do anything right now, Peter ends up challenging Moraz to single combat and the army of the victor in this duel will be considered the winner of the war mm-hmm. good concept as long as it you're works not in fighting theory. shady people it works in theory and miraz is 100 percent shady yes and his friends his advisors also shady yeah people.
0: um when edmund brings the challenge to miraz um, we get a little bit of insight to the advisors for Miraz and how they are plotting to pull a Caesar, if you will. Yeah. And they fully want to stab Miraz in the back. So we have Brutus being honorable men here.
1: Yeah. Um, Glozel and Soapspian, I believe is how you say his name, are the two advisors who have decided that no matter the outcome, they're going to stab this man. <laughs>
0: Yeah, Mraz is done.
1: So when he loses the fight with Peter, Mm -hmm. they decide to stab him and declare then that the Narnians have cheated and stabbed him in the back while he was down. And then they're in command of the Telmarine army at that point. So they tell the Telmarine army to attack. Well, we all know how this goes. At some point, Aslan's going to jump out (laughs) and do something cool.
0: Well, the thing is, is he doesn't necessarily jump out and do something cool in this situation. Aslan takes a little bit more of a backseat in this novel. Yeah. Um, And it's literally, you get to see how his relationship with Lucy grows. Another thing that we haven't really talked about, because this novel sets up um, for something that happens much later in the series, specifically with Susan. And it just shows the level of struggle that she has. With believing in Aslan, um, and I think one of the um, one of the adaptations handles this really well. And just like by giving her line was, I was just getting used to being back in England, because it goes back to that whole logical side of Susan that yeah. we see in *The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe*. And so, getting to see her struggle with that, it again it sets up for something that happens. Much, much later in the series. And we'll talk about it when we get to it. But it, I would say the seeds are planted for that later event here. Um, but Lucy, Susan, and Aslan have gone to wake up the trees. They've gone to get the Dryads and the naiads, And Bacchus. This is the one thing that's really interesting about Narnia. It... Just the way that Lewis created this entire world is it's not a, oh, we just have like things from Greek mythology or Roman mythology or whatever mythology he felt like pulling from. Man literally pulled from every single kind of mythology and legend he could. Yeah, But Bacchus is such an interesting choice. It is. So for those that may not be aware of who Bacchus is. He is essentially Dionysus in some form of mythology. So he's the god of wine, the god of parties. I've even heard somebody refer to him as the god of fraternities.
1: I mean, Dionysus would totally have been in a fraternity. (laughs) He would have literally created his own fraternity. He'd be like, I don't like any of these other fraternities. I'm making my own.
0: (laughs) But it's just, it's so interesting that that is one of the things that's brought forth to face the Telmarines.
1: I mean wine is always useful. (laughs) I don't know. I'm going to assume that um that Aslan just really thinks that wine is very useful and partying is important. I don't know. I can't I I can't I can't figure it out.
0: I, I don't know. I mean it works because of the help from the, the dryads and the naiads and bacchus the narnians win yes but i just think it's so interesting that bacchus makes an appearance in this book
1: i guess cs yes, lewis had a had a a little soft spot for bacchus i guess i don't know who knows um so Yes, essentially bringing the woods to life helps uh, send the Telmarines fleeing and uh, they end up finding that they're trapped at the Great River where their bridge has been destroyed by Bacchus. Mm -hmm. Useful. You know, partying, destroying bridges. Um, So the Telmarines... (laughs) The Telmarines... I don't know. I don't know. Some people party hard. Um, So (laughs) the Telmarines surrender and Aslan gives them a choice of staying in Narnia with Caspian, then as their king, or returning to Earth, which is where they're originally from. Um, and it, the, it's, you know, the end of the story. So one person volunteers to go through the magic door to Earth. Yep. And the rest of the Telmarines are like, No. That's a lie. Where are you sending them? So then the Pevensies go through the door back to Earth Mm -hmm. um, to reassure the Telmarines. And it's here that you find that Peter and Susan are now too old to return to Narnia. Yep. Um, And they're back at the railway station and it's been probably about 15 seconds. So time is an illusion. (laughs) you're welcome
0: that it is
1: so yeah that's the whole book
0: my overall opinion of the book as an adult is i feel like this is just a build-up book i don't feel like anything really happens
1: i think i feel like this is
0: just a whole book of setup for the voyage of the dawn yeah
1: it definitely feels that way the voyage of the dawn treader is far more important to the story. And I feel like all this book did was introduce you to Caspian because they were like, well, we can't just introduce him at the beginning of Voyage of the Dawn treader That wouldn't make sense. Right. They were like, we got to give you a little bit of backstory for why this guy's here. Well, and it also
0: establishes the relationship that Edmund and Lucy already have Mm -hmm. with Caspian. Yeah. So, which... You know, helps bridge that, and then there's also that one little thing where it it prepare it sets up that plot point for Susan Mm -hmm. as to why the thing that happens near the end of the series happens. Yeah, Um, because we we need that, but I don't feel like I just feel like it's a bunch of setup. It it's not like here's all of this action. I feel like we had way more going on in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe than we do in Caspian.
1: Yeah, and I, I mean, part of that could be that *Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe* was wor- a world builder, and C.S. Lewis didn't feel like he needed to world build in this one, because in a way he sort of destroyed and then rebirthed the same world in this book. He was like, "It's gone. Now it's back." <laughs> like, yeah. so yeah, it's possible that it, it's just this book was just a sort of a blip on the journey. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but fun, fun news. There's only two adaptations of Prince Caspian.
0: So the first one that we have is in 1989. This is continuing uh, the BBC's mini series trek through the Chronicles of Narnia, and they mashed Prince Caspian and the Voyage of the Dawn Treader in one, which in all honesty tells me that the BBC has a similar opinion that we do with the fact that that Prince Caspian is just a lot of yeah. build up yeah mm-hmm. because not only because this like set of miniseries is still the same number of episodes as lion witch in the wardrobe six episodes but only two of them are spent on prince caspian the other four are spent on the voyage of the dawn trader yep which we're not talking about today so we're not going to talk about the other four we'll just talk about the first two um <laughs> uh, so some some uh Things to note about it. Uh, the director changed uh, from The Line, the Witch, and the Wardrobe to this one. Uh, it's Alex Kirby this go-round. But it's still being dramatized by Alan Seymour. So it's still the same writer. So it should, you know, have a similar feel to uh, *to Line, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. The actors who are playing the Pevensies are still the same. Yes. So, which has its own issues in its own right
1: yes I know.
0: because i mean yes it's only a year since the, the performances have been there um i don't know if the directors just didn't give notes to them um lucy specifically never felt like she actually aged in like yeah. the way that she carried herself if that makes sense mhm she still feels very much like a child.
1: Yeah, which coming out of the line, the Witch in the Wardrobe, at that point, Lucy had literally grown up. She'd become an adult. She'd been through war. She'd ruled a country. Like she, the the other adaptation that we'll talk about, I think, did a better job between the two of them of having these children grow up on the inside from mm-hmm. what's happened to them.
0: Right. Um, this is going to be a, a fun actor to continuously bring up. Warwick Davis played a in yes. in this adaptation, and we'll see him again in the next adaptation. <laughs> we will, yes, yes. Um, and then we have Jean-Marc Paré as Prince Caspian, which he hadn't he hasn't really done anything since then. Um, where he was an actor. He's done stunt work, but that's about that's about the extent of his career. And then Miraz is Robert Lang, who was in four weddings and a funeral. I mean. It's all brand. So, episode one. We open with the train station. So they are taking it where we get to see the pevensies at the train station, which is you know where the novel starts. So that's not a problem. They have a really weird conversation about Narnia. And then they like hear a horn. And then instead of, you know, going through the whole fact that okay, um the Pevensies are now entering in Narnia because they heard the horns, like we cut to Caspian, yeah, having a conversation with Miraz. <laughs> and it's it was a weird cut. Yeah. The whole, like, situation that we now, that we, like, jump into with Caspian and Miraz, it feels very rushed. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like it's actually being given the time it needs. Yeah. It's just, let's vomit all of this information on you. Because they limited themselves to two episodes. As they're, like, talking about the kings and queens of old, and I think this is more so when Caspian's talking with Cornelius, um we jump cut back for a brief moment to the train station and I don't remember if it's Peter or Edmund that makes the comment of my ears are burning someone must be talking about me what
1: listen it was the 80s
0: (laughs) so that was such an unnecessary thing it doesn't matter that it's the 80s that's just a bad writing
1: it's also like at that point in the train station, it's it's not this. It's not happening at the same moment that that is happening, right? Like that's not when he uses the horn when they're having a discussion about them. So I'm like, that makes no sense,
0: right? It doesn't line up. Yeah. Then we, you know, we get to go through all the different things, and the second episode is them continuing uh, to get to Caspian. And then I don't know that we ever talked about when we were talking about the book, but like Miraz is actually encouraged to refuse the challenge. But it's his advisors literally trying to rile him up so that he will. And it's a weird, like, somewhat reverse psychology thing.
1: Yeah, it's because they want him gone. And so their thought process is, get him real angry, he will do this thing, this child will beat him.
0: Is what they think is going to happen anyways. Is
1: what they think is going to happen, because they obviously have a lot of faith in the idea that Peter is still good at being king of Narnia, despite Mm -hmm. the fact that it's been a a year for him and 1300 for everybody else. Yeah.
0: Um, The only note that I really have about... About the challenge between Peter and Meraz is that Meraz seems to be murdered in private. It doesn't feel as public as it actually is.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, Which, I mean, technically he is murdered in private because he's just like silently stabbed in the back. But it's done in an open area to where someone could have seen it. But I don't know. And just in this adaptation, it feels like it's done in a closed private area.
1: Yeah, like they went into a room and murdered him.
0: The Beginnings of a whodunit instead of a. Uh...
1: <laughs> I'm here for this movie.
0: I mean, overall, just the adaptation... Like, these two episodes as a whole just feels very choppy in yeah. retelling this novel. Which, I mean, has... I feel like it has more that it could offer than this adaptation gave it credit for.
1: I think that has a lot to do with that it's two episodes. And with even despite the fact that this book is still a blip, if you're going to adapt it, you still need to remain mostly true to the story to get the the story out to the best of your ability rather than to just put it all together so that we can move on to what we like better.
0: True. Because the thing about the ending of episode two is it does set up like they literally jump right into um, Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Like when they, when the Pevensies get back to the platform, instead of it being what it is in the novel, which is they're just, they're literally when they're on the platform to begin with, they're headed to school and it's Lucy's first time going to boarding school. Like it's a lot of, there's already a lot of emotions going on at, at the beginning anyways. In this adaptation, it's literally, Susan's going to America. Peter's going to summer school, and Edmund and Lucy are going to stay with their cousin Eustace Clarence Scrub.
1: Oh, Eustace Clarence Scrub! What a what a name!
0: It is a name, and I can't wait to talk about it when we get to that episode. Can't but it's not today, <laughs> so I got to still on Prince. Got to refrain. So <laughs> got to refrain for the day.
1: Onward and upward to the next adaptation. The next thing.
0: Happened in two thousand
1: eight. Yeah, May sixteenth of two thousand eight. Right. Yes. Yes, I wrote that yeah, down. Yeah, this right. is this is me. the second
0: one that Disney and Walden Media did together. It is also the last one that Disney and Walden Media did together, because Disney didn't want to be involved in Voyage to the Don Treader. Again, we'll talk about that another day. We still have Andrew Adamson as uh, as a director, so you know, and he also helped write it with Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely. Um, the Pevensies are the same in this cast. We get to be introduced to Caspian with, uh, Ben Barnes being Caspian. I like Ben Barnes. I like Ben I Barnes as Caspian. He, however, and I agree with him, especially after rewatching it recently. Um, he did not feel like he was the best choice for playing Caspian in this movie. Yeah, like it was great to establish him as Caspian in this movie because he really does well with Voyager the Non-Treader, but it's literally from an age perspective, Ben feels like he was the wrong person to play Caspian in Prince Caspian. I can see that. Because technically, Caspian is supposed to be like 10 in the novel, and you have somebody who is definitely not 10 or anywhere definitely near the age of 10. 10.
1: Definitely not 10. They could have casted somebody younger, done somebody who kind of fit in with the Pevensies a little bit more as far as age. And then we would have gotten Ben in Voyage because that would have made sense. But, but I still for whatever like, reason, I still like Ben Barnes as casting in this movie.
0: I do too. And But because of how they casted him, it opened them up for some subplots, which yes. we'll get to in a second. But other, other people we get to see in this cast, we have Peter Dinklage as a uh, Trumpkin. We get to see Warwick Davis, but this time he's Nickabrick.
1: This time he's Nickabrick.
0: And we have Eddie Izzard voicing Reaper in this adaptation.
1: I thought I liked him as Repacheep.
0: Yes and no okay. uh, is where I sit on that. I, and I don't know how much of that is they seem to get stuck on kind of one one liner. Yeah. So I, I don't know that we really got the full range that we could have possibly gotten from Reaper Cheap. Um, I feel like we get a better look into Reaper Cheap in the Voyage of the Don Treader, just in that specific adaptation. Yeah. I feel like we have a, a solid idea from the book of who Cheep is supposed to be and how he's supposed to act. I don't think we got to see all of that from Eddie Izzard's Reaper Cheep. All righty, let's hop into this adaptation. What's your thoughts?
1: I mean, this adaptation, I think, does the, the sort of the jump cuts from what's happening in Caspian's life to the Narnians, to the Narnians, to the Pevensies. I don't know why I called them the Narnians. Better than the first adaptation does, for sure. Mm-hmm. Because you sort of start this adaptation... Meeting Caspian, Yes. Which I think worked the way that they did it. Because you get introduced to what is going on in Narnia before we see the Pevensies again.
0: Mm-hmm. And I do feel we miss some of the context. Don't know that it's absolutely crucial that we have this context. But like we l- literally the first thing we see... um, when we actually see people, cause we see a lot of, we see a lot of scenery before we actually see people um, at the beginning of the movie is Caspian's aunt giving birth.
1: Yeah. You need, you want, we, we honestly needed a little bit of why is this woman having a baby?
0: <laughs> and so like, it goes from seeing her give birth to Cornelius warning Caspian and trying to get him out. Yeah. Um. So like it, it hops into the action really quick, which I mean, works well. And it, does things in its favor it just we have no context of who this is why this is important and why we should care
1: at this point we're like uh he's like your aunt is having a baby you have to leave and he's like uh excuse me and i'm in the audience going i know who that is do people who've not read this book know who that is
0: and that's where that's (laughs) that is the question we would would love an answer to if you have never read the book and you just watch the movies, would this make sense to you?
1: Like, would you assume that that's Caspian? Because it's the name of the movie?
0: Would you assume that the baby that's being born is Caspian? Oh. Or would you assume that the person who is being told to run is Caspian?
1: That's the question. There could have been a lot more backstory, but again, I think they were like, we just need to put this movie out there because without this movie, nobody's going to understand Don Treader. They're going to be like... The- who is this man? <laughs> right. Well, and the thing that that
0: you get locked into when you make adaptations of these books is once you've made The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, you have to make Caspian and Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Otherwise, your pevencies will outage mm-hmm. where you're at.
1: You have to do it. And you have to do it so, quickly.
0: Like Once you've made that one, you have to make those two following it so you don't have that choice to make the horse and this boy which happens like while the pevensies are kings and queens like you can't go back and decide to do the magician's nephew because now you've you know done the one that everyone says is their favorite like it's just the way that it runs like they were on a time crunch because the actors grow very
1: quickly truly I mean, even between Lying Witch, and the Wardrobe, and then watching, obviously we're not talking about it, but Don Treader, there's a huge difference between Georgie Henley, who plays Lucy, in the first movie and the last movie that she plays in. like oh, A huge yeah. difference, and it's
0: only oh, a couple yeah. of years. Exactly. And during filming Caspian, she had to have fake teeth put in because she mm-hmm. kept losing her baby teeth on set. Because she was growing up. So the way that they go from, like, they literally whisk Caspian out, and he's on the run. Like, the way that they kind of, in a way, rush the whole Caspian blowing the horn. Like, I don't, th- I think it works for the way that they set up their adaptation. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't work from the context of the book.
1: I think it eliminates the need for more story with caspian before we go on to the pevensies because i think at that point they realized that people would come to see these movies were expecting to see the pevensies again Mm -hmm. and if we had continued to do what we were doing we were going to wait even longer true and they were like we don't want to do that blow the horn
0: which i like the way that they transition from that it's Literally, Caspian's blowing the horn. And in the next scene, Lucy's having a car horn honked at her yes. because she, you know, did a dumb thing and ran in the in front I, of yeah, a car. Yeah, I
1: think that this movie handled transitions so well.
0: Yes. I think it's interesting that this adaptation chooses to have mostly Peter, but Edmund also gets in on the action as well of Peter having a fight with other students in the train station. Yeah. We have no context of why.
1: Yeah, I think, I think you sort of get the idea from what they do afterwards. Where Peter's sort of like, you know, I've been a king. That he's... I think having been in Narnia for so long and grown up and lived like essentially a whole life. I think they're all feeling a little stunted being back in the real world.
0: When they go back and like Peter says, this was what happened makes no sense
1: no but i guess they were they filled in here because they had decided not to do so much with caspian that they were like well we got to do something with the pevensies now (laughs) who knows there's a lot less aslan in this movie than there was in the book he's still there but like he doesn't really get as involved in this adaptation
0: i mean in the book he doesn't he's not all that involved
1: I think he's just a lot more involved in the book. There's also this like oddly written tension between Caspian and Susan.
0: Yes, that's one of the subplots that it's like, dude, why did this have to exist? And I think part of the reason why it was open to exist is because they casted Ben Barnes instead of casting a younger actor and then choosing Ben Barnes for
1: Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Mm -hmm. Uh, Which is... Crazy because, like, Susan's not coming back for Voyage of the Dawn Treader. So, like, why did you guys feel the need to have them flirt with each other? <laughs> I don't know. That was just, I, I mean, it's just, I was like, it feels aggressive and there, too much.
0: There are so many lines that it's like, why? Just just why? Like, when he tries to offer her, her horn back. Mm-hmm. She's like, keep it. You might need to call me again. And then Lucy repeats it. You might need to call me again? Because it's like, and it's like literally the way that she says it, like, that is literally how I feel about this whole subplot. And I'm
1: like, man, if they had casted him younger, would they have tried to make him flirt with Lucy? (laughs) I don't know. (sighs) We'll never know. In all honesty,
0: the tension between Peter and Caspian sets them up for a lot more trouble. Than is actually found in the book. Yeah. So that was either the writers trying to create more tension so they had more opportunity for action. Because there's literally an entire scene that is so obviously planted for action alone. Yeah. Because this scene doesn't exist in the book. Because literally once the Pevensies meet up with Caspian, that's when we just go straight to the challenge. Like, they've already, before the Pevensies get to Caspian, there's already been two battles between the Narnians and the Telmarines. Yeah. Where, in this adaptation, we've only had one battle.
1: Yeah, because then they go to battle at the castle. Which ends so sadly. Very sadly.
0: But the whole, like, stealth operation itself, like, it's clearly an
1: action grab. Yeah, that whole thing, the whole battle in the end just makes Peter look real bad.
0: I think it makes them both equally look bad because they both made choices that pushed them to the point that they ended up being in.
1: Yeah, and that pushed a bunch of wonderful animals to have to die.
0: And, like, you get different moments of seeing, like, Susan struggle, like, when she says things like, while it lasts... Like, you know, things like along those lines where you like they are they are sowing those seeds that are meant to be sowed of her struggle and as to what happens later that, you know, we never get to see. So not in
1: these movies. If you've
0: never if you've never read the books and you just watch these movies, it just makes Susan look like a pessimist and She is, but she's not. And I'm generally not one of those people that's like, well, it didn't happen in the book this way. But with these stories, I feel like it needs to be a little bit closer to the book than what this was. I think out of the three that they did get to adapt with this round of adaptations, Caspian is the one that matches the book the least.
1: Yeah, for sure. And it... Is because Caspian, I think, is the less plot-heavy of the three of them. And so they felt the need to action-grab so much. I mean, even the first shots of the movie are very action-grabbed. Yes. And so when they added the second battle that... Yes, there was a second battle in the book, but it's not the way that this one happened. I just think that they set themselves up to fail because they felt the need to action grab so hard instead of just choosing to find better ways to actually be more on line with the book.
0: Mm -hmm. No, I think you're true. Very
1: true. The way that they go about with the White Witch,
0: like trying to bring the White Witch back, is very unnerving.
1: (laughs) Yeah. A lot of anything with these... Two movies, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe and Prince Caspian, the White Witch is consistently very much more unnerving in the movies than she's in the books.
0: And I think I think the way like it's really a great opportunity for Edmund as a character to do what he does in that scene, which is, you know, stab the witch, because he he knows the power that exists. And mm-hmm. so because he's more aware of it, he can resist it easier than everybody else yeah but the way that he just gets go he goes about it i don't know it's it's slightly sad where he's like oh i know you had it sorted so when they have susan and lucy go find aslan to you know hopefully help bring more more help to the fight that they know is going to happen because they just have that really great hunch that you know yeah yeah Things aren't going to go the way it's supposed to go with the challenge. Um, the fact that Susan gets off the horse to protect. Literally the whole reason why this exists, because it's not how that happens in the book. Because Susan goes with Lucy the whole way. Yeah. Um, it literally happens because Anna Popowell wanted more screen time with her bow and arrow.
1: Yes. I mean, I understand that. She was given it as a gift. Yes. Like, and I'm not necessarily mad about it.
0: It just, I don't know.
1: You're, you're kind of like, oh wow, okay.
0: Like, I think, I think the main problem that I have with that specific scene is because Caspian comes and like quote saves the day, so it adds to that weird tension because they never fully develop that subplot.
1: Yeah, it never goes anywhere. This movie is, it's, like, rushed but slowed down. Yeah,
0: it's a very weird pace.
1: Um, yeah, the pacing of this movie is very odd. But, again, the pacing of this book is a little strange. Also true. So, that.
0: Because the other thing, so right here at the end of the story, Caspian makes the speech of with aslan instead of aslan just giving the whole speech of, yeah. you know like everyone is welcome uh, to stay if they would like to stay but however if you don't wish to stay here's your like opportunity to to go, to go. yeah um and then that's when we get into the whole like you know peter and susan they're not going to be coming back mm-hmm. and then to wrap up the awkward subplot of Susan and Caspian. She says it would have never worked out between us. I am thirteen hundred years older than you. She starts to leave, then decides to go back and kisses the dude. It's why make why make the comment that you're thirteen hundred years older than him and then kiss him?
1: It's just not necessary. It's not In necessary. No sense. Um, Makes zero sense. It made sense to them because Ben and Anna were close enough in age, I guess. Like, I guess. And I mean, they do have chemistry.
0: They do. We're, there's, we're no, not, there's, there's no. We're not denying d- that at all.
1: Denying that. Like, it's not that they didn't do a good job with this subplot. It's that it wasn't written well. Yes.
0: And then I really do like the song that, like, goes with this movie. Uh, the Call by oh, Regina Call? Spectre. Mm-hmm. It it was a very solid song. And for the longest time, you could not get it anywhere outside of getting the entire soundtrack. Yeah,
1: They were like, you can't buy this individually. And we were all like, oh, why? So I own the entire Prince Caspian soundtrack because I wanted Regina Spector's song.
0: Because she never released it on her own. Mm -mm. No, it was just released on the soundtrack. It was literally for this movie. And I think that was a great, like, Call sound like that was, yeah, it was a great like choice from my marketing perspective, for yeah, because
1: it meant that people bought the soundtrack. Is there anything else you would like to add to our discussion? This book is not bad, this book is just too long <laughs> for what it <laughs> is because we just didn't need all of this backstory, I don't think, to introduce Caspian. I think, truly that this book was not necessarily necessary. I understand that. And like the length of it, how much we had to learn. I'm like, y'all could introduce Caspian in a shorter way.
0: So I, I think, I think that is true. They could have, Lewis could have absolutely introduced Caspian in a different way with starting with Voyage. Mm-hmm. But the things that we miss out by not having this book is more of a developmental choice for the Pevensies. Yeah. So, which is hard to push past when the title is Prince Caspian. Yeah. It feels like you're supposed to care more about Caspian than you are about the Pevensies because of the title.
1: And truly, we're supposed to care a lot more about the Pevensies and the journeys that all four of them are going to go on from here rather than Caspian, who will matter a lot more in Voyage. Yes. That is... Those are our thoughts Mm -hmm.
0: on Prince Caspian by C.S. Lewis and the adaptations that have come from it. So, thank you, C.S. Lewis. Even if this is not our favorite of your novels, Mm -mm. we still appreciate that you wrote it.
1: We're still having fun. Yes. And that is, I believe, what matters absolutely um thank you to anybody who took part in in one of these adaptations uh bravo even though we didn't really need them in the way that you did them <laughs> <laughs> i said it <sighs> um, you did and always always thank you to zakaka for making our beautiful art because yes. we like art.
0: <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and thank you to all of you guys for
1: putting up with us for this whole episode. Yes. Thanks for tuning into League of Lit. If you have any suggestions for an episode, feel free to leave a comment on leagueoflit.tumblr.com.